Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit get 30, bit get 20, 20, 20, bit get 20, 20, bit get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nature is a dangerous place. On Monsters Inside Me, the podcast... Listen to the life or death experiences of people who have survived animal attacks, natural disasters, and deadly parasites alike. Featuring audio from Discovery Channel, Science Channel, and Animal Planet, from hit shows like This Came Out of Me, Nature's Deadliest, Still Alive, and I Was Prey. Listen to Monsters Inside Me wherever you get your podcasts. Jason Landry disappeared on December 13th, 2020. Oh, there's a wallet. He's completely naked wherever he's at. To get a 2 a.m. phone call from a highway patrolman, that changes your life forever. His family is desperate for answers. I was the only one looking for Jason. And the car ran off the road right around this curve. Found his wrecked car. God, please be with him. This episode of Disappeared retraces Jason's last known steps. Why did he miss that turn? Did something nefarious happen to him? It really is two separate questions. What happened to Jason? Where is Jason? Words can't describe that living hell. Thinking, is he lying in some shallow grave somewhere? That's all you can think about. The more people who know Jason's story, the greater the chance of bringing him home. Share on social media. Get the word out. Help find him. Have you seen Jason Landry? I'm Jason Landry's father. Every college student is different, but Jason has always been He's always been strong-willed. He's always been courageous. He just would always strike out on an adventure. He would do anything. He was always incredibly optimistic. He always figured everything would be okay in the end. Lisa and I have been married 31 years. We have three kids. Jason's our youngest. My wife's a musician. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but He's always wanted to play any instrument. He's always loved it. Growing up in a church family isn't a normal family. Being a preacher's kid is, is difficult. So. I think there's just this pressure to be perfect. Going to church is not really optional when you're a preacher's kid, and that's uh, unusual in this day and age. This was his first semester at Texas State. Finals were just wrapping up. 
and he was coming back for Christmas. So, you know, kind of looking forward to the week and uh, all the different things you've got going on in life. My name is Jack Frank. I've known Jason Landry since childhood, and he was also my next door neighbor here in college. Jason's game plan was to go home and then just be home for winter break. He said, I'm gonna hit the road back home, and I sent him a text asking him to get some sleep before he hit the road, and he sent me a text saying that I'm all good, I appreciate you looking out, and that was the last I got to hear from him. My name is Jeff Ferry. I'm a captain of the Criminal Investigation Division of the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office. December 13th, 2020 was a Sunday night. A volunteer firefighter is driving down Salt Flat Road, which is this county road in Luling. And he encounters a vehicle with its driver's side against a tree line, a fence line. Got some driver's side damage. Headlights are on, sees it, it's unoccupied. Apparently the driver was able to kick out the window in the back. The volunteer calls a Caldwell County dispatch. In our county, Texas Highway Patrol works all motor vehicle collisions. And so a Texas Highway Patrol trooper ends up responding about an hour later. He kind of drove up and down the road looking for the driver of this vehicle, making sure there's nobody who's hurt and maybe he wandered off from the car and now he's laying in a ditch and he needs medical aid. We have to find him, especially because temperatures are dropping. It's cold. We've got a pretty significant weather event blowing in that night. But he doesn't find anybody. So Higher Patrol shows up at that accident scene. Right up there is where his shorts and underwear are. He does encounter some clothes, which is very unusual. The clothes are about 900 feet to the south, going towards Luling from the collision scene. He's completely naked wherever he's at. Those articles of clothes are strewn about the roadway in sequence consistent with voluntarily disrobing. Then he finds the backpack. Oh, there's a wallet. At this point, our deputy arrives at the vehicle collision scene. White male. Right, college kid. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Make a note, approximately 10 marijuana blunts located inside a prescription bottle. Certainly the narcotics, we think, played a factor. There was no indication there had been a loss of life as a result of that collision. All the evidence was that this was an intoxicated person, you know, college kid out of Texas State, goofing off and had a collision. Why does he take his clothes off? I don't know. Last name Landry, first name Jason. And our trooper radios the driver's license number in, then ends up calling Mr. Landry and Mrs. Landry, who are the registered owners of the vehicle that's left abandoned. Hello? Mrs. Landry? Yeah. My name is Trooper Flores with the Texas Highway Patrol. Okay. The reason I'm calling is I'm currently at a uh, crash scene involving a 2003 Nissan Altima, golden color. Okay. I suspect Jason may have been driving this vehicle. Oh my gosh, okay. To get a 2 a.m. phone call and be a highway patrolman on the other end of the line is 
just, well, you just can't imagine it. That changes your life forever. How bad was the car? Yeah, he crashed into uh, some trees in a private fence. Oh my gosh, okay. Have you been in contact with him this evening? I have not. Are you all able to find your phone? No. So, should I head? What should we do? Well, then pray. Yeah, we're in Houston. No, I understand. I understand. I'll be back in touch with you momentarily, okay? I wouldn't say they were nonchalant, but they found his wrecked car and they were looking for him. And really kind of that was about it. I don't know how long I waited before I left, but it wasn't too long. Then I hit the road. I'm driving to Luling from Houston and I was just gonna help search and do whatever it needed to be to find my son. You know, frankly, I was driving along thinking at any minute, I'm gonna see Jason just walking along the road and I get to choke him and hug him at the same time. But there's nothing on this dark highway. You know, I'm almost to Luling and I figure there are people searching. I figure there are sirens, there's cops walking around with, with spotlights on. There's nothing out there. My wife, Lisa, calls me and says, they towed the car. I'm like, can you call the highway patrolman and get the exact location? She called the highway patrolman and she woke him up because he had gone home and gone to bed. So she gave me the exact location off of Salt Flat Road. When I found the accident site, this is sort of track marks and you can go down here and you can see where the car went off. You see the wheels and hit down here by this tree and fence. And that's when I found his clothes. See, those are two pairs of socks, socks, shorts. Mr. Landry sees socks, and they're kind of goofy socks, and he knows immediately, those are my sons. I mean, I was a lawyer. I'm not stupid. I know what evidence could be, but they don't work the scene. That's my personal opinion. They don't do what everyone has seen that they do at an accident site. You know, put the tape up, measure the tire tracks, pick up the evidence that literally is laying in front of you. But I don't know why they don't pick up his clothes. I'm about 20 feet ahead. This is his flip-flops. This is his T-shirt. Thankfully, Mr. Landry documents that prior to picking him up. He takes video of all that. This is his toiletry bag. And the car ran off the road right around this curve. So this is, you know, maybe a football field, maybe a little bit more where I found his clothes lying in the road. This still pisses me off, to be honest. It's your job to do the most basic thing. But from the very beginning, highway patrolmen thought this was nothing other than a one-car accident with some college student who smoked pot, and he's just wandering around out in the woods. Well, if you believe that that's true in 30-degree weather with 20-knot winds, and literally there's a full set of clothes lying on the road, you at least go find the lost person, wrap a blanket around them, give them some hot soup, and then sort out the details as to what happened. But I was the only one looking for Jason. I had to find my phone 
for Jason so I could see that his phone was at the tow lot where the highway patrolman said the car was towed. Here. When I found his wrecked car, it's just kind of chaos in a, in a sense of of your emotion, your emotions. God, please be with him. I knew his phone was in there. It had slid down, kind of between the seat and the armrest. I had to go from the back seat, kind of behind it, and I was able to get it. Not that I could unlock it. It's just I had his phone. There's no evidence of where Jason is, and so there's nobody looking for Jason. And so Mr. Landry does what anybody does, calls the police and says, hey, what's going on? Texas Highway Patrol then realizes, hey, we should get a search team together. On December 14th, they bring in Texas Search and Rescue, AKA Texar, and they're a nonprofit that comes in for smaller communities who don't just have the resources to dedicate to, to large searches like this. And they search several acres of land. Usually they do by ground, they do it by horse. They also do aerial um, searches as well. Texas Search and Rescue were out there searching around the crash site for him. Right near where the car was wrecked, there's a hillside, and on the other side of the hill is a retention pond that's maybe a half acre big. And all the search dogs keep hitting that he went into that pond. They brought in some swift water rescue guys, some dive teams to search this pond. They brought out sonar imaging to image the pond. They get permission from this owner to actually drain the entire pond. You can hear the pumps running 24 hours a day. And every moment for the first week, I keep expecting the director from Texas Search and Rescue to tell us that they found our son. Words can't, can't describe that living hell. Just waiting, waiting for the ax to fall, thinking any moment you're going to hear that they found your child. And all I can visualize is him floating there in that dirty water. And you don't want him to be there. And then finally, when they drain the pond, he's not there. You're thankful, but where is he? Are we looking in the right places and just haven't found him? Or are we not looking in the right places because he was never there? Or is he lying in some shallow grave somewhere around Luling and we just haven't found him because someone put him there? That's all you can think about. As a dad, your primary responsibility is just to protect your kids. And I failed. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. 
And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Nature is a dangerous place. On Monsters Inside Me, the podcast, listen to the life or death experiences of people who have survived animal attacks natural disasters, and deadly parasites alike. Featuring audio from Discovery Channel, Science Channel, and Animal Planet, from hit shows like This Came Out of Me, Nature's Deadliest, Still Alive, and I Was Prey. Listen to Monsters Inside Me wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Are you looking for ways to be happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative? Gretchen Rubin is the number one best-selling author of The Happiness Project, and every week she shares insights and practical solutions in the Happier with Gretchen Rubin podcast. Gretchen's co-host and happiness guinea pig is her sister Elizabeth Kraft, a Hollywood showrunner. Join Gretchen and Elizabeth as they reveal fresh insights from cutting-edge science, ancient wisdom, pop culture, and their own experiences about cultivating happiness and good habits. Every week, they offer a manageable try-this-at-home tip you can use to boost your happiness without spending a lot of time, energy, or money. Suggestions such as follow the one-minute rule, choose a one-word theme for your year, or design your summer. They also feature segments like Know Yourself Better, where they discuss questions like, are you an overbuyer or an underbuyer, a morning person or a night person, abundance lover or simplicity lover? And every episode includes a happiness hack, a quick, easy shortcut to more happiness. Listen and follow Happier with Gretchen Rubin, an Odyssey podcast available now for free on the Odyssey app and wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, my name is Jason Landry. (laughs) I saw Jason every single day the week prior to his disappearance. So I I just got out of the shower and, you know, I was thinking, you know, about things as I do. That Monday started off completely normal. Like he was the person I'd known him to be and was just doing his day-to-day routine. He spent a lot of time in his bedroom, especially just with online school. Our campus life was just looking at a monitor that semester. Our social life was uh, pretty lackluster. 
I started noticing Jason was relying a lot more on smoking. And the more he ended up smoking, the more off rails his thought process started, started going. The weed's good in the sense that it gives you great ideas and everything, but it's hard to focus as well. I'm not naive. I went through college too. And to tell me if, if I am surprised that a 21-year-old in college smokes pot, no, I am not surprised. I met Jason Landry in seventh grade. And then as the years went by, I got to know him a lot more. When I got to Texas State, I was moving in and Jason pulls up in the house right next door to me. He was very happy to see someone he knew as well. And uh, seeing him next door gave me a lot more hope for the semester. Jason was so excited to go to Texas State. Bro. What? I got accepted. You did? That's amazing. You happy? Duh. Of course, COVID hit and all the fun going out and meeting people were just taken away from him. For some people, if you're really introverted, that's a good thing. But for an extrovert, that's just the worst thing in the world to lock yourself into a room and not be able to actually connect with people. And I think that really negatively impacted Jason. Um, I'm tired, I wanna go to bed. I think Jason struggled with the life online. He was really just in his own shell. What I would always do is, you know, think about all the things I have to do and get overwhelmed by it. For Jason, he was still, I think, very much in that midst of trying to sort things out and uh, trying to decide what he wanted for his life. I knew that Jason, over the days up until that point, hadn't been sleeping and eating properly and had only been smoking. That's when I started having concerns for him. But Jason was still completely coherent and cognitive. The night he left, that was the last time I texted Jason. So Saturday after Jason's disappearance, the search continued with Texar. Helicopters went up, a fixed wing aircraft has gone out, canine teams have gone out. Drone assets were deployed, and we used hundreds of thousands of drone images that were taken. That first week was, was pretty intense. We're seeing the helicopters fly in and the dog teams. I can't even begin to imagine how many dog teams have searched for Jason. Seems like every dog in half the United States has been searching for Jason. I'm like, why haven't we found him or any trace of him? Have we been searching in the right place? After Saturday, we said, hey, if we have not found anything by now, let's cease search operations until we have evidence of one thing or another. We hadn't even built a timeline by that point. So we requested Texar to cease all search operations. And then we started doing the forensics on the car. Our detectives processed that vehicle. They went through every piece of evidence. We collected DNA swabs. We fingerprinted the outside of the car to see if there had been any other uh, potentially viable latent prints that we could retrieve and process. We became very aggressive in our investigation and started 
looking for video from anybody or anything that was in the area. We're pulling game cameras. We're reaching out to property owners and seeing if they have hidden cameras on their property. We're looking for video from convenience stores. Maybe something happened on the drive from the apartment in San Marcos to the area of the crash. Maybe something happened on the road in between the two, but we were really left with nothing on the video side. We did rely on traditional police work and we also relied heavily on Jason's digital data. We knew early on one of the key things we wanted was Waze, which has his geolocation data. He was driving through Luling. And it certainly appears that during that travel, he's using Waze for directions. When you're using apps like Waze, they like pinging you like every time you pass a tower. And so they can see minute by minute where you are. And the thing about using technology is that you can also see when they close it out. And I think that's really been a game changer for investigators. It appears that he minimizes Waze and opens up Snapchat. He's looking at a story on his phone and he misses his turn. He should turn right. He proceeds straight. Looking at all the evidence we've collected, we can document every second of Jason's travel from his apartment in San Marcos, the entire route into Luling, where he, we believe he misses his turn. We have every second accounted for. And then Jason has a single vehicle collision, but we don't know why. What contributed to that collision? Could a deer or a hog or something jumped out in the road and he overcorrected? Could have. Could it have been Jason dropped his phone? If he's digging around for his phone, overcorrected, had a single vehicle collision, and then left the vehicle on his own? Certainly feels like that's the most plausible. It really is two separate questions, though. You know, what happened to Jason? Where is Jason? This is America, and you're allowed to disappear. If you want to start another life, you can do that. That's not something we've encountered, but it is a possibility. So is this an involuntary missing? Is this a voluntary missing? Fast forward a couple months, now there's these creation of these Facebook groups. Now the media is heavily involved. A missing person billboard can now be found along Highway 183 going from Luling to Lockhart in hopes of bringing home missing Texas State student Jason Landry. I've been covering this since December of 2020 when we learned that Jason had gone missing. And this case seemed to resonate with the community more than any other case that I've seen. People see something like this happen and they're like, oh my gosh, that could literally be my kid. You can't imagine you're waiting for a phone call, but you dread a phone call. And then you wonder how long are you going to be waiting? And it just, every day is another day. likely that Jason wanders into the woods. I do believe firmly that we just haven't found him. We know that the area where Jason goes missing 
has a lot of wild hogs. And these are two, 300 pound critters. We know that there is a wild hog problem in Central Texas. Wild hogs can destroy thousands of dollars of crops and property. And so if Jason was somewhere in the woods unconscious, I think there's a possibility that wildlife could have gotten to his body. When there's a scarcity of food, hogs will not miss a meal, especially in December, January, February. Is it possible that that's why we've not been able to find a body? Maybe it's possible he's gone. In my opinion, Caldwell County Sheriff's Office don't seem to want to think about a possibility that it's anything other than a one-car accident and that Jason wandered off in the field and got eaten by feral hogs, period. There's nothing to be done in their mind because, you know, there's nothing left of Jason. Too bad, so sad. But maybe it's not a single car accident. Let's broaden the scope. Let's use all the tools that are available. My name is Abel Pena. Uh, retired from the FBI after 26 and a half years. I've worked uh, a number of, of missing persons cases uh, while employed with the FBI. My daughter attends Texas State, and she called me about a friend of hers that um, was, was missing. It hit close to home. Jason was characterized by my daughter as just a very pleasant, very happy-go-lucky, free spirit, but a very warm and loving person. My daughter used to date his best friend, and so there was this closeness that they had. Jason was just one of those people that was kind of a I think a glue person that keeps a group of people together. He was one that had a lot of good friends and, and impacted a lot of lives. And it was a friend of his who told her dad, hey dad, have you heard about this one? And he contacted us and said, hey, I think I, think I might be able to help you. We're part of Project Capsentis, which is a nonprofit. We've got a team of retired FBI agents, Border Patrol. We've got some other intel folks. So we're there to kind of provide that bridge between the family uh, of the missing and be there for um, assistance to, to local or state authorities. We offered our services free of charge to the Landry family. To have someone else besides Caldwell County Sheriff's Office looking at it makes us happy. Put a different set of eyes on this. Maybe they can look at the same facts and get a different conclusion. I reached out to the Caldwell County Sheriff's Department, and it can be a little bit of a, um, a balancing act. We don't want to appear like you're, you're trying to take over. What we wanted to do was work together trying to locate Jason. We felt comfortable sharing information because um, we were all working towards the same goal, finding Jason, getting answers. When we first started this investigation, um, you know, we want to look at the, the victim. From that picture, you can determine his habits, his behavior. The Sheriff's Department believed that Jason was so high, he crashed that vehicle. But most college kids, they smoke marijuana, they get high. And so by all accounts, Jason was a normal college kid experimenting with marijuana. As a, an investigator, you want to make sure you allow uh, other possibilities Initially, I felt a bit critical about the way it was handled. 
The red flag for many of us would have been the clothes. Just to see the clothes laid out the way they were along the road. The whole area was trampled on, tampered with, and the vehicle was towed uh, immediately. If there was any evidence left behind that was destroyed. We also had a lot of questions as to why Jason drove down Salt Flat Road. You know, why did he miss that turn? Was he distracted? Was he lost? Did somebody guide him down that road? We started going door to door along Salt Flat Road and also along Austin Magnolia at the intersection. So we started talking to people. And while it didn't really get us too much, it still gave us an understanding of the area and of some of the neighbors, some of the people in the town. We start learning that there is a drug problem out there, a major drug problem. Drugs just are wrecking havoc on Luling. So we learned that there is um, some bad people. Recently, we've had an uptick in violent crime, a lot more violent encounters, a lot more murder cases. Certainly, it's been more violent than it has been any other time in my 19-year career. But you're going to have bad people all over the, the country. As we continued knocking on doors, a lot of people in Luling were very forthcoming with us. We continue to follow the disappearance of Texas State student Jason Landry. Jason Landry disappeared in December of 2020 on his way back from his college in San Marcos to his home near Houston for Christmas break. Law enforcement say his car was found crashed in Luling with Jason nowhere to be found. And I don't think he walked away from his life just like that. And so somebody knows something and we think it's local. Many, however, were reluctant. They would say they know things, but were just too afraid to talk because of drug dealers nearby. We felt it was beneficial uh, to set up a, a tip line to receive uh, incoming calls from people that felt uncomfortable calling the police. I mean, they're deathly scared of what could happen if these people learned that they were involved in telling us who was involved. We didn't feel that the tip line was gonna receive a lot of calls, but we did. And the consistency of calls about what happened to Jason that night was too overwhelming to ignore. The information we're receiving is that something nefarious happened to him. Jason Landry was last seen December 13th, 2020. If you have any information, please contact the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office at 512-398-6777. Any tip we received, we vetted out. There was a sighting of Jason in, in near Dallas. We traveled up there and knocked on the door and we met with the person that they believed was Jason. It wasn't obviously Jason. We sent people out to Austin because there were sightings at some of the homeless camps, a sighting here in San Antonio. Uh, we checked that out. We traveled and we vetted a lot of these leads in the hope that Jason was there, was out there. And so we continued pressing forward, talking to more and more people from our anonymous tip line. The information we're receiving is that Jason encountered individuals at that intersection of Magnolia and Austin Street, and something happened to him. We're not sure what at this point, but something we believe nefarious happened to him. And we were told he may not have been driving the vehicle. 
from that intersection to where the vehicle was found down South Flat Road, roughly four miles away. Somebody may have driven that vehicle and crashed that vehicle purposely. See, those are two pairs of socks, socks, shorts. And then thrown his clothes around to make it look like something happened there, which steered the investigation at the onset. I can see where he went sideways. The crazy thing about this case is it's all reduced down to one hour. What happened between 11.30 and 12.30, between that point in Luling and Salt Flat Road? What happened in one hour over about a three-mile stretch of road? I want to be careful what I say here. We received several names from these anonymous calls of the people that would say they were involved or may have knowledge of Jason's disappearance. They said Jason was accosted by individuals at that location, but they're saying that even if these guys are arrested, they're worried about the families and just the repercussions that result uh, in them being considered um, snitches. Luleen is a small rural community where folks have been for generations. And when it comes to talking with the cops, I think there's always a fear when some kind of case is being investigated. I received a letter at my home address. It was a bit creepy receiving a letter that I had no clue who it was from, but it described in fairly good detail everything we've been hearing on our anonymous tip line. If they were making this up, I do not believe they would go through the effort to find my home address. They wanted to make sure that that information got specifically to me, and it was received. We are familiar with the information that the private investigators were able to collect, and we're familiar with some of their beliefs. But people have different motivations for sharing information. People say things because there's no consequences, right? Well, then you hear that, and then you tell somebody, and then it's that classic telephone game, right? All of which makes investigations difficult. Some crazy person sent me an email saying that Jason was disposed of by a wood chipper, like in the movie Fargo. And to think that they would send that to me. Then you visualize that happening to your child. And I pray that that's not true. We try to make the story make sense with the information we have. I mean, I guess if I'm a 21-year-old coming from a college town, which is full of narcotics, I guess it's possible you could stop in Luling, Texas at 11.30 at night and randomly encounter convicts on the corner and that they would force your vehicle off the road or kill you and then stage the single vehicle collision, which we don't believe happened. But that's what was getting said, and that's what the PIs kept hearing. And so by God, it's gotta be true, because people keep telling us. Well, it's my opinion. The only way the private investigators' theories can flesh out is if you discount all of the hard evidence, and that and that's really when we stopped having a relationship with the private investigator. If you believe that Jason just walked off and disappeared, uh, in, in my opinion, there's not going to be much effort in trying to look at this case as anything other than a missing persons case. And 
It's important as an investigator to explore really all options. And that's to look at the possibility that something uh, criminal could have happened to Jason. So they're treating this as a missing persons case, but there was DNA uh, samples taken as well as fingerprints from Jason's car. You can process a print, you can try to run it through the, the system and see if it matches with any known prints. I tried enough cases in criminal court and civil court to know that there's so many databases and stuff that you can search for. If you have the DNA material, you can search for a, a, a hit. That DNA evidence is not really evidence of anything. I mean, it's evidence that somebody else was in the car. Well, how many people have ever been in your car? We have to have evidence of a crime. And if we thought for a second that DNA evidence would get us any closer to what happened to Jason Landry, wholeheartedly and assuredly, we would do that. But, you know, that gets to a point where we don't have anything else to update. So that's frustrating. We don't ever hang it up, right? We just continue to trudge on, we continue to work. I just want them to do their job and find answers. Since Jason's disappearance six months ago, the Landry family has become no stranger to the city of Luling. When we come here, it's all, what that makes me think of is it's so hard every time we leave again without him. And they say they'll keep coming until they find out what happened to their son. Just help us find him. We just want to find him. If someone hurt Jason or did something to Jason, then they, they better be brought to justice. And first tonight, a prayer vigil in Missouri City for 21-year-old 20, Jason Landry. The student at Texas State has now been missing for one year. Fox 26's Matthew Seedorf has lied outside Southminster Presbyterian Church tonight, where a vigil for Jason just wrapped up. Matthew. An emotional night for family and friends here. There's one here at the church, and the one in Luling was set up by some of the locals there. My family did attend the candlelight ceremony. I wasn't able to make it myself because of my work schedule, which I do think about a lot. I feel like that was a very important thing to be present for. Jason was always known for wearing his silly socks. And so I was texting his mom and I was just saying, I'm wearing my silly socks sitting here thinking about y'all. It's amazing how many people turned out for both of those. And to be honest, I wasn't in either one. I stayed out all night um, by where the accident was, just by myself and Jason. And there's no good reason why. I just needed to. It's the same reason why you go put flowers on a loved one's grave on their birthday or on the anniversary of their death. You just, you need to be there in that space. At the one-year mark, we're still actively investigating. We're still looking for information. And we remain available to the Landrys if they have questions, but I think our relationship is strained. The Attorney General's office opened up a cold case unit at the end of 2021. They just took the Landry case on in December, I believe. For the Landry family means that there is going to be a fresh set of, of eyes and a fresh set of investigators taking on Jason's case, 
looking at all of the evidence, maybe looking at something that the Caldwell County Sheriff's Office missed or the private investigator might have missed. And hopefully we find an answer that wasn't there before and can give the Landry family the closure that they're looking for. The Texas Attorney General's missing person unit did not exist when Jason went missing. I'm hopeful that the AG's office has another technique or another tool. So the fact that they were willing to step up and go, yeah, we'll, we'll take a crack at it. We're very appreciative of that. I believe it is a turning point. I believe it is good for the case to, again, look at it from a different set of eyes. The Attorney General's investigator is aware of the people and the witnesses, and we're grateful that they've reached out to us and consider us a resource. That's what we're here for. Hopefully, the Attorney General's office might be able to break through that impasse and maybe get some new useful information and crack the case. The people in our community want to know, is there a bad guy out there? Is there some nefarious character that's visiting harm to our friends and our family and our community? What we can say with confidence is, is that we don't think so, right? We don't, we don't believe that to be true. I maintain that this is a tragedy, but it's not a crime. There's no reason to believe that anybody in the world has information on Jason Landry except Jason Landry. Jason resonated with, with many of the people in a special way. I mean, strangers around the country that speak of Jason, there's Facebook pages and their sole purpose is to find Jason. I, I hear the passion in their posts about you know, Jason being just like their son. I do hold out hope. I, I hope that for his family's sake, there is an answer. A day doesn't go by where I don't think about the friend that I lost and how hard it's been since then. He was a really good person and a good friend. I thank God for Jason, for the man he was and is, and the impact that he has had on so many people's lives. Last time I saw him in person was, he was walking out the door for Thanksgiving, and he's heading back to school. And I remember telling him, well, I'll see you in a couple of weeks for Christmas. It almost doesn't seem worth it to give you a hug, but I'm so thankful I did. You know, I'm so thankful I told him I loved him. We still got Christmas presents from 2020. What do you do with those? Nickelodeon was kid everything. But that marked one of the darkest chapters. Three predators worked at Nickelodeon. It made me wonder who was being hurt. Quiet on set. An ID true crime event. Sunday, March 17th at 9 on ID and stream on Max.